0: Turn with me in your Bibles, please, for our second reading to Deuteronomy chapter 21. <clears throat> Thank you, by the way, for your prayers for me. Um, last week, I was, you know, a little bit down. Uh, two weeks before that, I was okay. Three weeks before that, I was down. been kind of up and down thank you for your prayers. I'm feeling pretty well today. Just got a little bit of, uh, you know, like I said last week, uh, some reruns, you know, some bad reruns, but we're still uh, on the mend and in good shape, so thank you. All right, so chapter 21 of Deuteronomy, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. If one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him. Then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take an heifer which, is, which hath not been wrought with, and which hath not drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer into a rough valley, which is neither eared nor sown, and shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. And the priests, the son of Levi, shall come near, for them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him and to bless in the name of the Lord, and by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man Shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley, and they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her, that thou wouldest have her to be thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thine house." And she shall shave her head and pare her nails. And she shall put on, or she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her, and shall remain in thine house and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that thou shalt go in unto her and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then shalt thou let her go whither she will, but thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make her, make merchandise of her, because thou hast humbled her. If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his." If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them, then shall the father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man have committed a sin (coughs) worthy of death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. (coughs) But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed, of God, "...that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Four sections to the chapter. In the first section, we have a man that is found somewhere between two or three cities dead. He's obviously been slain. He's not died by natural causes... He's got some sort of injury that identifies that a murder has taken place. No one has seen it. No one can testify to it. Um, The amazing thing about this passage is that although no one has seen it and no one can testify to it, there's still something that must be done because of the great value of human life as created in the image of God. So, although there won't be anybody punished for it, there's no witnesses to come forward to talk about it. Uh, Still, there is a ceremony that must be performed. And so the responsible parties become the nearest parties. Um, This is not because they're the guilty ones. This is because you have to make a decision. There, There needs to be a ceremony set forth here that the land be not defiled with innocent blood. Normally, the way innocent blood is atoned for with regard to the land in ancient Israel, was by the blood of him that shed it. But there's no blood of him that shed it. So, they measure to the nearest city, and whichever city is nearest to them must bring forth a a heifer. What is a heifer? It's a female bovine cow that has never been bred. She's never had a calf. And also she's never had a yoke upon her. So in other words, she is in her full vigor. She's not been diminished by any physical labor or calf bearing. And this is to show forth that the man was killed in the vigor of his life. Then they bring her into a rough valley. Why? Because this man who was in the vigor of his life was treated roughly by his brother, whoever that was. The place of desolation... Roughness, no cultivation, no sign of human organization, order, or kindness. And then they will strike off her neck. In other words, that heifer must be killed in one of the most gruesome ways ever because it is a most gruesome crime to lay in wait for someone alone and slay him in the middle of nowhere and leave his body to rot. Beloved, this is a wicked, wicked sin. And so there is a most difficult ceremony that is performed on behalf of it. Notice that after they strike this heifer's neck off, they sever her head, in other words. There's, okay, I'm not trying to be gross here, but that's going to be a mess. Then what do they do? They wash their hands. They wash their hands over that heifer and they say, our hands have not shed this innocent blood. Right? Well, their hands would be covered with blood. And yet their hands are washed now. Right? Their hands are washed and they are, they enter into an oath before the Lord their God in saying what? What are they saying here? They're saying that we did not slay this man and we do not know who did. They, they are, in essence, entering into an oath before the priests and the elders of the land. Right? And then what does the Lord say at the end of that? Well, they, they say, Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people Israel, of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. What? They didn't do anything. If they failed to do this ceremony, they're guilty. Not guilty in the sense of guilty that they're the ones who killed him, but guilty in the sense that they're the ones who refused to do anything about it, according to the command of God here. So shall thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the Israelites are going to go to war like we read about in, in the last chapter they may come against the city they may have to destroy it they'll take women captives and it was alright for one of those young soldiers if they wanted to take a wife from among the captives that was okay they could do that but she became an Israelite she was not to continue in her heathendom so there was a ceremony a 30 day ceremony that was, that was involved with her that had to do with her cutting off all of her hair, cutting her nails short, taking off the raiment of her captivity, and putting on the raiment of the household instead. And, and if, if I can put it this way, it's a little rough, but she acclimatized herself to live among the covenant people by those 30 days when her hair would grow back and her nails would grow back and she would wear the garments of a, a lady in waiting to be married. And so then, after that 30-day period, the man could marry her. They would consummate the marriage. And if at that time he found no favor in her, he was free to release her. Notice, however, she could not be sold. She could not be treated as a slave because she had been made a wife. And so she was free to go anywhere she chose. Well, this sounds semi-barbarous to us, living as we do in the 21st century. But let's try to put ourselves in the window of the ancient Near East and remember what happened to women captives. Need I say more? I hope not. This is a very dignified, a very humane, a very human and gracious way of dealing with a woman like this. It is indeed remarkable in the ancient world. So that's number two. Number three, the rites of primogeniture, verses 15 through 17. And so we see here that there were times in ancient Israel when men married more than one wife. Beloved, this is never good in Scripture. Never good. All the way from the beginning to the end, right? From Genesis to Malachi. we, We read in Genesis... That although God had a residue of the spirit, he made one. One wife. And in Malachi, I'm angry with you, the Lord says, because you've forsaken the wife of your youth. Okay, so let's remember that. That it's always been one man for one woman. That was the standard. Yes, I know many of our patriarchal heroes had more than one wife. That's a sad thing. We should be grieved to know that. Never did it take place in such a way that there was a blessing in that household. It was always a trouble to that household. Okay, so with that said, there's the condition here. If a man have two wives, okay, so whichever one of them has a child first, that's his firstborn, the beginning of his strength. And as the beginning of his strength, he inherits a double portion. And it doesn't matter if he's the, the son of the favored wife or the not favored wife. The rights of primogeniture Stand with the firstborn son because that is the one whom God brought forth first and God knows what he's doing and we're not supposed to doubt that. So that cannot be gainsaid or undone. Alright, then in uh, verse 18 to the end we have the stubborn and rebellious son. I will say that this is not a seven-year-old. This is a son that is... That about whom the judgment can be made, he is a drunkard and a glutton. So he's an older son, still living under the purview of his parents, but he will not hearken to them. He's a grief unto them. And, you know, we always look at a passage, or we often look at a passage like this. And what do we say? We say things like, uh, oh, wow, what a, what a terrible thing, those wicked, wicked parents. Perspective, perspective, perspective. This is the last resort for those parents. They have had this boy in their house since he was born, and they have done everything in their power to raise him. They love him. They don't want to see him slain, but they have a greater regard for the rest of their family and a greater regard for the the nation around them they know that this son, if allowed to come to the full blossom of his adulthood, will end up being a grief or worse, a criminal in the land. And so as a last resort, they, they bring uh, him to the elders of the gates and they say he is incorrigible. He does not listen. He's stubborn, rebellious, who will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones. What are they doing? They're taking the word of these parents. these mother, the, the, This mother and father who bring their child to the gates of the city. Weeping that there is no other recourse. And yet here it is. And so he is stoned. And then finally the last portion 22 and 3. Teach us about the cursedness of hanging on a tree. Uh, Most of our minds will immediately run to our Lord Jesus Christ. Who became a curse for us. Being hanged on a tree. That's good divinity. You should think of that. But they were not to defile the land. Because the land was a type of heaven. So you'll not leave him all night on the tree. You will hang him and then you will bring him down. And you'll bury him. You will treat him. With that kind of human dignity that belongs, even to criminals, right? That's the end of Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one. So much more there on the sixth commandment again, right? As we saw, and also on the fifth and eighth commandments. All right, well, let's stand and continue praising God in the singing of Psalms. Again, we're singing about the visible church uh, fr- from the Psalter, and it's and it's. Blessing.